Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. I'm Coach Kevin Furtado. I'd like to introduce you to episode 105 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Today we have the privilege of introducing um, two people today, Brendan Hall and Brad Hellegross. Brendan is a veteran Boston area journalist with over 15 years of experience from high schools to colleges to Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, and Bruins. He has been with ESPN since 2010, first as the high school editor of ESPNBoston.com, now currently an editor with ESPN.com's personalization team. Previous stops include the Boston Globe, Worcester Telegram, and Gazette, and Florida Times Union. He has numerous experience in front of the camera, including occasional appearances on Boston radio and TV networks, as well as photography. Brad Heligos. Graduated from the University of Nebraska, degrees in uh, broadcast journalism and sports media communication. Helagos is a content producer at Huddle, covering video and data and analytics used in the NBA, NHL, MLS, NCAA Division I sports, and high school basketball. This is going to be a great interview, folks. We have both of them that are going to share mostly the basketball analytics that uh, not only that coaches use, but we use here at Lake Oconee Academy. We think it's a great advantage for coaches to use. They're going to share with you insights on how you can better use data to help your team perform. All right, let's welcome Brendan Hall and Brad Heligas. Hey, Brad. Hey, Coach. How you doing? Good. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thrilled to be here. This is an uh, exciting opportunity. Any chance I get to talk hoops, man, I'm in for it. Absolutely. And uh, Brendan's going to be joining us in a second. Uh, that's part of the process here. So he'll he'll be hooking up with us in, a, in about a minute or so. Perfect. Sounds good. <clears throat> great, great. Hey, I just want to thank you. I, I, I definitely contacted Brendan ahead of time because I really enjoy his articles and so forth uh, with Huddle. Uh, mm. Of course, we're, we're a big user of Huddle and everything out here at Lake Oconee Academy. Um, hey, I just, we're just going to pick your brain on how us basketball coaches can use Huddle to our advantage, particularly the insight and the analytics. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I grew up playing the game. Um, I think uh, I was one of those kids that even when it was like 17 degrees outside, right after I shoveled the driveway, I just kept shooting because the driveway was open and mom hadn't called me in yet. So um, I fell in love with the game at an early age. And then as I you know, grew up, played at high school, um, went to college for broadcast journalism because I wanted to do play-by-play of basketball games and uh, ended up just really studying it and really studying the numbers and then got on board with Huddle and have been able to work with NBA teams, uh, Division One basketball teams, um, teams from other sports as well, MLS, NHL, and kind of how they use video and data to paint a picture and really teach the game. Um, and that's, that's where I love working with coaches is talking about what they're seeing and how we can either validate it or kind of poke holes in it based on what we're seeing with data. And that's a lot of fun for me. It's a, it's a challenge, but it's, there's a lot of information, a lot of nuggets you could pick up on if you know where to look. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Brandon, how are you? Kevin, what's up, buddy? Hey, this is a great conversation, man. I got, I got, I got some ex, I got some experts on this, man, about basketball analytics, and I've just, uh, Brad just kind of shared with me a little bit about himself. But uh, hey, jump in and just um, kind of tell a little bit about yourself. I know right now the chief, uh, the uh, Patriots aren't playing very well, so you might be a little upset. But uh, 
I'm okay. I, I wish these these uh, referees could be doing their job better. <laughs> they've, taken, they've taken. I don't know if you saw this Nikhil Harry touchdown they they called off, but they ran out of challenges um, because the referees screwed up so much, so they can't challenge it. But he was clearly in bounds, and uh, well, they scored anyways. But um, yep, Keystone Crop Keystone Cop crew tonight in Foxborough. But <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what we get because I was telling you earlier, Kevin, that. Uh, it was Adam Schefter report that the Chiefs, um, uh, 30 of the equipment bags were left behind in New Jersey. Right. Um, so um, I'm, uh, seeing the way that Mahomes is darting over the field, they should have left those bags in Ohio. Forfeited <laughs> uh, the game uh, because they wouldn't show up in time. <laughs> Well, I know how quick Belichick is, man, and that organization. I thought they would actually not – I mean, there's no way they should have got to the uh, facility there, right? It, it doesn't make any sense because there's, there's like six different people that have to, like, check these things off. So it doesn't make any sense how they drop only half the equipment off and then they go to Newark with the rest of it. It doesn't make any sense. Unless yeah. maybe uh, – this sounds crazy. Uh, what am I saying here? Um, so they went to New Jersey – did the boxes say New Jersey's? And then they just thought, okay, let's go to Jersey then. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I mean, I mean, listen, anything's possible. I guess, but. It is. Um, hey, Brendan, tell me a little bit, because uh, I, I have read so much stuff. Uh, I love your articles, by the way, with Huddle. And I, I'm a Huddle – not a guru, but I, I'm, I just love Huddle and what they offer. But um, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, just about how you got involved in in sports and so forth and what you're doing now. Um, you, I mean, you want to go all the way back? You want me to go? Uh, I mean, I, I we can go all the way back to high school if you want. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really do that. Just kind of share a little bit because I know I know Brad shared a little bit about how he got involved. But just just a, kind of a, a brief resume on sure. how you how you started with sports and so forth. Sure. So I, I started, um, anyone around here growing up uh, around my age um, who grew up in Boston, um, it really was a pleasure to wake up every morning, read the Globe and the Herald and find a great column from Shaughnessy, Ryan, uh, Michael Hawley, Jack McMullen. And then, uh, you know, I would steal the Herald from my second period business class and read Steve Buckley and Jerry Callahan during lunch period. Um, and so I kind of, you know, a lot of my experiences in sports writing, I, I always wanted to be those guys. Um, and I, I spent a long time at the Boston Globe, ESPN, um, worked for the New England Patriots for a long time. Um, and, and as my career was ascending, um, running the high school section of ESPN Boston, it kind of uh, coincided with the ascent of Huddle. Um, and about 10 years ago was when um, Huddle really got its footing in the market in American football, at least uh, up here in Boston. Um, and it completely changed the way that recruiting was done around here um for so long you know boston college uh and to a lesser extent yukon kind of had first dibs on whichever kid uh you know was a blue chipper around here um and within a couple of years of, of huddle really getting a hold here and and ease to share highlights and and how easy it was to distribute no longer have to go you know, meet some coach at a friendly parking lot off, off Route 128 at 11 o'clock at night and get a bunch of VHS tapes, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, to now the point that uh, Alabama was coming through here, LSU, the schools that just have no business being up here. 
um, were coming in here regularly to because to, to, hey, we saw your highlight film and we don't just want to make sure you're actually six five two thirty, you know. Um, and so I've just been a fan of Huddle for a long time. Um, this opportunity came to me through some uh, some mutual connections um, that I had made along the way uh, for people who who jumped here to are now people I work with in the Boston office and it's just been a blast. Um, uh, but again, I, I've been such a fan of, of, of huddle and, and just its whole, uh, everything it stands for, for a long time. And, and really, and for, for my career, um, you know, being able to see these guys on huddle and, and see how, how it just completely changed everything. Um, it's, it's been hugely important up here. So. Yes, absolutely. And <clears throat> Brad, how can we um, – because I have all high school youth coaches that listen to the podcast, and I have – if you saw some of the podcasts that I do, it's all high school coaches. I, I I would pick a brain of a high school coach over a college coach any day. and it. But I tell you what some of your articles do for me is that you have breakdowns or what are the really good high school coaches doing through huddle – to impact their programs. Brad, give me some examples of what they are, some of your top coaches are, how they, how are they using huddle? Yeah, no, for sure. So I think one of the big misconceptions about analytics is they're going to reveal some fundamental truth that you just were blind to the whole time and didn't know was there. And then it just changes you as a coach that that doesn't happen. What, uh, what I think coaches are, are getting to at a point with data and, and advanced metrics is understanding how they connect with your core values as a program, right? Like if, if you want to build, a, a, and it, it connects to your community, right? The type of athletes you have coming into your program is going to change what your box score looks like. That's just a fundamental truth of high school basketball, whereas in college and the pros, you're building off way more refined specialist players uh, and you can kind of create a box score based on your style of play, whereas you you might be at the mercy of the kids down the street or just the kids around your neighborhood. Um, and so you as a coach have a much more um, – you have a higher responsibility to create a culture that fits the community around you, uh, in my opinion. And, and with that, using uh, stats as an opportunity to connect your principles, where if, you know, we're going to be a tough-nosed, crash-the-boards type of team – um, we should set goals or measure ourselves regularly to see how we stack up with our own expectations and with those of our opponents, um, understanding the gaps between us and opponents on things that on the battles that we want to win. Right. Cause when you're going up against somebody who has a different strategy than you, you don't want to fall into play into their game. They don't want to fall into play into yours. So there's going to be these two, three, four battles that emerge throughout the game. That if those are the battles that we can pick and win, things are going to go our way. So kind of spotting those battles ahead of time and then implementing drills throughout practice that are going to set you up for success and ultimately just put your players in a position to be successful. That's what I think data is really helping us do. Uh, it's, it's confirming the eye test as a scouting report. You know, there's, there is no substitute for a coach's gut, but what data can, can tell you is how, how big of a problem is this or how, how much do we need to drill into fundamentals, footwork, uh, do we need to implement one move or, or one type of cut or one type of screen or backdoor action that's going to open up our offense? What, what does the data tell you is going to be there? And then how can you capitalize on it? Uh, man, that's great insight. And Brendan, how can we, you mentioned a great point, Brad, and, and I want to ask, ask Brendan, I have a player. Uh, I love the VPS because I think that's, that really evaluates the kids. They can get an honest appraisal of how they're doing. 
I have one girl, I coach girls that if you look at her through the eye test, it's got, ah, she's not very good. But the other day in about a seven, eight minute span, she had a 9.0 VPS, which is unbelievable, but she didn't really do a lot, but she didn't make a lot of mistakes. I think the eye test sometimes hurts us as coaches, right? By looks. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. Even from last night, I was watching the uh, main red claws and they lost, but Bryce Brown, um, who's uh, undrafted uh, free agent from who led Auburn to the final four last year um, has been crushing it in Maine. And, he had 11 of 11 three-pointers last night in the game. <laughs> right. And so I, I, I ran up – they don't – the box I was looking at didn't have it, but I, I, I did the math. He had an effective field goal percentage of 1.21, which is literally like – like it's you ever watch The Wire? It's Omar. Like even when he missed, he couldn't miss, literally. Right, I mean, it's a one sure. Play, right? Uh, so I, I think what it does, it, it just puts some – put some real science behind some of your convictions. Um, you mentioned about the VPS, um, you know, the, the, the plus minus thing, it, it seems like it's kind of over the last decade, it's been something that's been more prevalent in basketball. Um, being from Boston, being a huge hockey guy, um, you know, plus minus has been important for a very, very long time as a way of measuring a, a true 200 foot player. Right. And you need and saying, and in basketball, I, I, I think, um, yeah, especially at high school level where the talent isn't always there um, and you need to get guys to buy into real roles, uh, have guys eight, nine deep off the bench, um, putting some science behind why this guy fits here. Um, I think it's an easier sell, you know, um, and, and it kind of, um, to what Brown was saying about revelations, um, sometimes this stuff goes against what your gut might've said, but, um, just to, just to put some some numbers behind it, um, and kind of take out the sub, the subjective, if you will, and say to the kid, no, like here's the scoreboard, here's why I think you fit into this role rather than this. Yeah, that's a great point. The plus minus is awesome, I tell you, and and uh, I'm actually spoiled with with huddle, and but I don't know if enough coaches really use it enough. Um, and I know uh, we just played a school that has the huddle focus that actually does their practices. Uh, that's our next level we're getting into. But um, tell us a little bit more, Brad, about the plus minus, because I'm actually – I have a situation on my team now where I really see what lineups work the best based on that. Tell us a little more insight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, plus minus is, uh, I think, best complemented by VPS. So this is a really natural transition. I can tell you're digging into the stats. Uh, but, yeah, plus minus is, is a great way to kind of figure out which – which lineups are having things click and basically give you a, a positive or a negative output based on their time on the floor. So any group of five players, are they outscoring or getting outscored with their time on the floor? Um, now I did some digging around uh, based on max preps and what we could see on your huddle account. And uh, it looks like you have a pretty good feel of your lineups. I'm seeing lineups getting a lot of minutes that have a high VPS and have a high plus minus, but basically, you know, you've got, Coach, on your team specifically, with Destiny McClendon, she's averaging 28 points per game. Uh, it's, it's not just about her, though. you got to find a lineup with five players who are able to execute the game plan outside of just putting the ball in the hoop. So who's crashing yeah, the sure. boards? What are offensive rebounds look like? Are we not turning the ball over? All of those little things. We've got to find the four players that can accentuate what she does to make sure we get a lead. 
right? So looking at lineups and figuring out which lineup can can take a place when she's not on the floor, which lineup can I use to make sure we're still scoring and not sacrificing any points. Being able to stagger lineups correctly, it, it, you basically turn basketball into a game of chess, of making the right move at the right time to secure the victory at the end of the day. And plus minus is, is basically like those lights on the, on the airport tarmac that guide you home that let you know which lineups are doing exactly what you need them to do. Yeah, I love that. You just gave me a scatter report on my own team, man. I love it. Man, this is great stuff. I'm going to ask you more questions, my friend. That's why I brought him on, Kevin. He's a wizard with this stuff. Um, I have to do it. <laughs> hey, uh, let, let's kind of continue on. Is right now? Right now, we're um, we're really trying to work on our offensive and defensive rebound percentage. We're really trying to put an emphasis on that. Is that a little bit overrated? I don't think so. Um, I, I know convention says, you know, so, but um, especially in today's game, I don't know how it is in, in, in Nebraska, Brad, with, with high school basketball <laughs> and the trends. But so so one thing we've seen up here, um, and I know transferring is kind of a nationwide epidemic, but um, up here, especially where the, you know, the, the prep school programs, um, which are, borderline NBA development programs and they, and they take so many bigs, you know, guys with, with a lot of size and that leaves kind of your public schools, your state association schools to basically figure it out with guards that can kind of do everything. Um, a couple of years ago, Catholic Memorial high school in Boston with, uh, I don't know if you follow Davidson at all, but Kellen Grady, um, who's, a, who's a monster for them, but he, he basically, they, they started five guards CM with Kellen Grady, just shooting the lights out. And, sure. And, it, you know, it's just pace and space, pace and space. They ran it really, really, really fast. And then again, this year, um, Lynn English High School, coached by, I don't know if you remember those John Calipari Memphis teams, but uh, in, Antonio Anderson. Um, sure. And just, just the most chaotic, uh, frenetic pace I've ever seen. I'm like, how the heck is this team winning games? This is like an AAU game. And yet they're just lighting up 80, 90 points a game. And so I, I think for, for someone that wants to, wants to slow down a team transitioning and team that wants to push pace, your, your, your best, your best, your best transition defense in some sense is an offensive rebound. And so, uh, and I guess, especially where I, I know Brad and I have talked about this before about the, the, the science of where's the best place to line up for a rebound. Um, you know, for many years here watching Rajon Rondo and the Celtics and seeing how he really, tried to own the free throw line space and how many rebounds he would pull down. Um, you know, there, there's some truth to that. I, I, so I think, yeah, I think rebounding, uh, especially offensive rebounding, um, it, it, I, I think it's probably even more important than, than it might have been a generation ago, just based on how many teams I see now that are really pushing tempo. Yeah, and particularly I, I uh, what I sense now is I, I interview a lot of what they call system coaches, where it's high – it's high shot volume, uh, high turnovers, and so forth. High tur- trying to force a lot of turnovers and try to get more shots in your opponent. And one thing they do is it's high offensive rebound percentage, 40% or above. I always see – tell me what you think, Brad. I always think 40% or above is what I shoot for in offensive rebound percentage. And with that, when, when we do that, we usually win. I mean, that, that's a great goal. And if you're getting 40% – Basically, if, if you have listeners who aren't familiar with the rebounding percentage, basically through the, through the lens of looking at rebounds is an opportunity 
to re-secure momentum, right? Re-secure possession. So if you're getting an offensive rebound, uh, you're eliminating uh, transition defense or really any reactionary time for the defense. So that's fantastic. So when you're securing 40% of the opportunities that your team creates to earn possession, that's fantastic. That's, that's, a, that's a really great goal. And teams who get around 40% definitely are tipping the scales in their favor. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of our true goals right now. And the games that we have lost, we really struggled on the boards. And we have, you know, we're small. We're not very fast. We, we play kind of a, a controlled pace and so forth. But um, but I noticed that one thing we're not – you, pro- you probably already analyzed my team. We have a high turnover <laughs> percentage. How can we – uh, what, I'm seeing that. Yeah, it, it's and that's something we're trying to we're trying to improve on. Of course, the last game we won 77 to 18. Everything worked. There was no coaching going on. We just had better players. Yeah. But um, turnover percentage that, that's an important stat, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's it, it's in some ways. Um, I'm go ahead, Brad. No, please, you're on a roll, man. I'm with it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we, one of the coaches we talked to, you, you, you probably know where I'm going with this, but um, the two biggest factors, according to this one coach we talked to for the article, were for winning a game, um, if you win the turnover percentage battle and if you win the effective field goal percentage battle, um, you will win 90% of the time. So, again, that, that's, that's, that's stuff that's an easy sell for kids, right? You put some numbers behind it, say, hey, listen, um, you know, if we can get it down into this range, um, uh, and minimize our own mistakes. We're 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 going to win. Um, when you look at this too high, and I think the, I think the, the great thing about this is is we we can kind of tie this all a playlist and and see. Okay, let's go through those sets. Let's see what decisions are being made, um, and, and let's see if we can we can try something different. Yeah, yeah. Brenda makes a really great point, especially with things when we're looking at uh, at things like turnovers and rebounds, um, turnovers specifically depend on are you playing uh against a, a straight up man-to-man defense are you playing zone or playing a three-quarter full court press and is it consistent um one thing I, I i like to talk to coaches with is like when do you see a spike in that percentage is it when they start applying pressure is it because you don't have enough ball handlers and you're you're uh bigger your fours and fives are having to step forward and be decision makers before the line crosses half court or is it just in the half court setting where are you seeing the turnovers the numbers are great because they tell you what happened but they don't always tell you why it happened so digging in and finding out are when we see a certain pressure or when we see my primary ball handler go to the bench then all of a sudden you know that's again we're looking at it through the lens of a lineup can be particularly helpful but uh just having good ball handlers and putting them in positions to be successful um, and then going to that ball handler and letting them own that statistic and say, hey, last game out, I saw we were at 20 percent uh, tonight. Let's shoot for about 10 to 15 percent. If we can do that, if we can minimize turnovers, we're giving ourselves better looks. We're giving ourselves more opportunities to score. Um, I think setting goals, especially with ball handlers around something like turnover percentage, uh, that that's huge for them because they, they then understand how important security is. And then they have a number they can go and look at as a benchmark for, for success each time out. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we have a term we use is called ball tough. Uh, we play against, so, yeah, yeah, we I play mean, against a lot. Looking at your team, you have some, some lineups that are about 25, 26% and you have others that are around about 18%. Yes, sir. I, I don't have the, obviously the deep knowledge you have of your team, but it'd be, I'd be curious to see 
if one of those lineups has better ball handlers or one of them is playing, you know, more in a certain situation in the game, do you tend to go to that lineup uh, when you're dealing with a press? What could be the situation? So diving into something like the context and the video behind the turnover percentage, that's really key to understanding what does that number say about my team? Am I, is it just that we're just turning the ball over a lot or are we starting to see different pressures and coaches are starting to apply pressure to the right people to make us cough up the rock? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I'm going to stay in contact with you, man. You're going to really help my team out. <laughs> I feel like I have a, this natural consultant right here. Um, I, well, I, and, and really in particular, with a lot of our turnovers, it's um, not being ball strong. Um, and we got to get strong. We have, we have kind of small kids. Uh, we play against athletic teams, but we actually have a pretty smart team, but we're not really that we're not that athletic. So that some of our turnovers are cursed. So, so we know that. And then, and I use video for that. Um, how much video is good and how much video is bad guys? <laughs> it's a great question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I do think sometimes there is such a thing as, as overload, sensory overload, especially with high school kids. Uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, I think that the, the simpler you you can make it for someone, and I and I think I and I I, I try not to draw from other sports here, but like when when you look at tendency data, for instance, and you say, you know, look look at a shot chart, it, it, and you see something that's way like let's say something's just really hot from from a particular area of the floor. All right, well we we are going to want to funnel them away from that. Um, it, it, you know, whereas if it's if it's you know, let's say, oh, he's 40% from here and 35% here. I mean, how much of a difference is it really? Um, I, um, I, I'm articulating this well, I know. But um, I, I, I basically, yes, I do think there's such thing as sensory overload. It, it depends on how you compartmentalize it. Um, and I, I think one of, the, one of the underutilized things with our, with our huddle tools, feel free to uh, differ with me, Brad, if you want, but um, it, it's just, um, it's not compartmentalized. People could do a better job compartmentalizing it and, and arranging it um, in something that's really clear. Like, you know, here's all their. Uh, I, I, I go to the, the set the set pieces, the the out of bounds. I said set pieces. Um, <laughs> uh, out of bounds plays um, to to be able to, to see all that arranged in one thing. Um, I think it just makes it so much easier when you, when you can organize instead of just you know just throwing it up there and and just kind of putting it in the ether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, go ahead. With, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, I was, for me, the biggest thing with video is understanding where your players are at. Um, I've talked to a lot of coaches who really give their upperclassmen mm-hmm. some leeway when it comes to video. Maybe they'll assign them, you know, like their captains, they go to their captains and say, hey, I want you guys to put together our next film review session. Um, whereas with, you know, it, underclassmen, freshmen, sophomores, you're still teaching them the value of what video does. And then we're also having to meet the demands of what our culture tells us what type of video works best. So, you know, nowadays when you're working with an athlete, they might be familiar with videos on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook that are bite-sized, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Uh, But ultimately, when we're we're working with athletes, we're teaching the game, we're trying to connect the principles of our program or the principles of our practice to real-life situations, And so when we're able to draw those parallels and say, the reason why we're doing this drill, which you might hate because we do it every week is because we see it impacted here in the game, right? If we don't close out three times on this shooter, 
they get a hot hand, the game can, the game dramatically changes. Um, the numbers might not tell you that. Um, and you might have players that just learn differently. Some learn visually, some learn by doing. Um, but this I think is the most underrated aspect of film. We're working with kids that are between the ages of, you know, 14 and 18 and, Sometimes they just don't have that awareness to understand how they interact with the space around them. And when we were able to take them outside of that lens of whatever's right behind their eyeballs and then see, this is the bigger picture. Here's how your actions here, here, and here set up your teammates for success. Or one of the greatest pieces of advice I was ever told was uh, when you do your dirty work on the block, that ball is going to get reversed. And then it's going to be your time to shine. And a lot of times when they're on the block doing that work, they're not expecting the light. To, they're not expecting the ball to come reversed. But we have to praise them every time they're doing that work on that backside block because, you know, three, four times the ball not, might not make it back to them. But on that fifth time when the ball gets entered to the post and they get an easy layup, it's because of the four repetitions they did right before that. And sometimes as an athlete, we might not make that connection of, oh, everything I'm doing matters or I'm just tired of the repetition. But when we're able to connect that to a game situation or be able to go back and celebrate and say, hey, I saw you do it three times. You only got one layup off of it. But if you don't do it the first two, you don't get the bucket on the third. It's about building momentum and building those cognitive moments for our players to conceptualize themselves, understand your principles as a coach, and be able to marry those together for improved performance. That's what video does uh, for me. And when I'm working directly with athletes, being able to give them the important information that shows them the video or the principles that the coaches are hammering on, you see that light bulb click and all of a sudden things just start accelerating for them and their development and how they buy into your program and your culture. If you can use video to get there, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a great story to take your sure. off this. And it's, I think this is pretty applicable to any sport, but, but I was talking to a soccer coach a few weeks ago who um, for, for a game plan, a couple days for a game, we'll put together a 26 page uh, PowerPoint deck um, full of huddle screen grabs the stuff that they grabbed off huddle and just, and now, now it sounds intimidating, um, but uh, basically it will down to here's three things we got to work on and two things we got to take away from that. And then they just kind of drill it in them. And then they kind of just chuck the game plan on game day and they go up there um, and they're playing fast they're playing loose. So think about it as a player. Um, when you have clarity like that um, and, and you've been, you've, you've got repetition about it. Uh, I mean, how much more fired up are you to play? How much easier do you think the game comes for you when you have it like that? Yeah, that's a great point. Should, should we focus more on, more positive. I, I feel like we should focus more on positive first when we're making corrections and then bring in, like, for example, the other day we out rebounded an opponent and we showed video clips of our, our rebounding. And then we went to turnover percentage. So we try to get almost a 70, 30 positive to negative. And I think kids actually, I think they, I think they have more open minds when, when we do that. Give me some feedback on, how much positive and negative critique? I mean, it, it might fluctuate based on, on the bottom line sometimes. And to say that there's a perfect ratio for every day, for every game, uh, can be a little difficult. But that's, that's a pretty good sure. uh, hard and fast rule to stick to. I, I always advocate for a little more positive feedback. 
um, because we're reinforcing positive habits. Habits, sure. uh, but it's really important to criticize within a an environment where the athletes feel that they're. It's tough. It, it's really tough to go and say I'm criticizing you to help you, but that might not always resonate. And so when you lay a foundation of I'm going to celebrate your successes with you that helps whatever the next principle is that you need to coach on or that criticism, it helps it resonate and land. So I, I always opt for leading with some positive, celebrating some things and then diving into the nitty gritty that we need to work on for next game. So I think about 60, 40, 70, 30 is a pretty healthy ratio. All right. Great. Kids want to get better at the end of the day. And I, I, I love the old coaching adage of the kids don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Right. And if they see you're invested and you're really going out of your way to make it, you know, to, to try to, it, with the understanding that, hey, I'm trying to make you better. Um, I, I think they, I think they buy in. I think they want to be, they want to learn something. I think if you're, you're educating them, you're, they're learning something every day at practice. I, 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 whether it's positive or negative, I think, I think people respond to that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think how you, I think how you correct. Tell me if I'm wrong, guys. How you correct. Um, can be positive as well. It depends how you do it, right? And from the great coaches that you you're around, how are they? How are they doing that? How are they doing through video? Whether that's through practice, I know you guys go to the practices as well. Because um, I think that's an important point for coaches. Well, that's where that's where your relationship with your player, I think, is the biggest determining factor in how well they receive what you're saying. Um, which, I, which is why I think video and stats is a great place for objectivity to kind of eliminate of like, hey, I'm not saying this because I'm the big bad coach and I'm not saying this because I want something different from you. I'm, I'm, we're saying this and we're looking at it together of a point of how we, can we approve. And I think the biggest, the biggest thing that we can do with coaches uh, when approaching athletes is to ask questions and and get them to a place where they're either owning it and being accountable for it or they're you're kind of laying that trail of breadcrumbs for them um that i think might be one of the best approaches i've seen where if you're able to ask the right questions and probe and start a dialogue with them and they can get there on their own without you having to hound them that's great but that's not always the case right some of those players you got to actually poke and prod and get them to where they need to be so right it, it, it depends a lot on your relationships but i think knowing the player and asking them the questions that is the biggest opportunity for learning development if you're able to ask the right questions players are really really receptive and open to creating a dialogue if they know that you're coming from a place of like i want to i want you to get better how do we get better together so ask but ask but not tell i mean it's not it's not a perfect formula it's not a one-to-one ratio but yeah asking questions i think is a great way to open the door for a lot of players yeah, that's a good point. Gentlemen. Let me, let me, put, it, let me I mean, put it to you this way real quick. Okay. I was talking, yeah. I was talking to a coach uh, about a month ago about things he does throughout the season to kind of, you know, shock his team. Because sometimes getting through a couple of months of the season, they start to get into these patterns of these lulls, and they, sometimes players check out mentally. So in the middle of the season, usually right when they come back from like a holiday break or something, they'll go into the film room, and he just puts the shot chart up on the screen. And then he takes a seat at the back and just lets the players talk. What are you guys seeing? Where are opportunities coming from? Which player is shooting well from what area? Why is that? 
And basically the players are the ones kind of owning that conversation and leading where we're going. And then basically as a coach, he just gets to step in at the end and be like, okay, these were the goals we set for ourselves at the beginning of the season is what we saw and what we talked about in line with where we're going, or do we need to change some things? All he did was just put up a resource, asked a question and then took a seat at the back of the room. And he says that you like nine out of 10 times, it's a very positive experience. And on that 10th time, he just has to massage the experience over the next couple practices. But that I th- I've never heard that before, but that was a really illuminating situation where just putting the resources out there and letting your, your team have a dialogue and that peer to peer accountability and giving your captains an opportunity to be vocal and to lead can really build a culture, but then it builds peer to peer accountability and it lets them conceptualize and really own their own development and own the team's uh, goals together. Yeah. And you find out which kids are buying into your system, right? Is that correct? Oh, you find out who's buying in. And then some of those kids who maybe not be as bought in, get some of that peer pressure of we're in this room right now (laughs) and there's no way out except to to analyze and talk about this as a team. And yeah, you get to figure out who's bought in, uh, who, who has something seriously invested and who you can go to in those tougher moments to help you on who's on your side for sure. Yeah, I love that. That's a great point. I think all coaches need to do that more, particularly not just on the boys' side. I coach girls, and I think the ownership – I try to give my players a lot of ownership and try to ask them a lot of questions um, because sometimes we just don't – we we try to maintain that control. We should just lose that control a little bit, right, as head coaches, and ask. Absolutely. 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 Uh, Brendan, what do you think about, uh, I love your shot chart. Matter of fact, the shot chart analytics that you guys have are so important. All you got to do is, all right, this team shot, you know, 70% from the right, the right quadrant low block, which, you know, then you're going to find out, Hey, how can we keep it out of there? And then you can show them video. To me, it's a valuable tool. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, uh, you'll have a problem. I'm looking at your short charts right now. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, let's do a full audit, man. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it looks, it looks like you, you guys are particularly, uh, good from the, from the short corner and right there. Right. Um, but it seems like you could be better, uh, around the arc. Uh, and the corners are okay, but nine percent uh, from the top of the key. Right. Uh, yeah. So if you're if you're so, so let, me ask, let me let me just spin it back on you. So what sets are you running that's allowing you to be so effective from the right side of the floor? Are, are your are your players right hand dominant, and that's just what they're comfortable with? Um, are there particular ways you're creating more spacing on that side of the floor? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? And how have the shot charts helped you with that? Well, you know, that's something I'm also analyzing myself and so forth. Um, sure. We run a lot of sets simply because I can get specific player shots. And we also prevent turnovers a lot when we run sets. Um, and But we don't – I used to run a lot of continuity, but I don't. But predominantly a lot of my best players are getting shots on the right side. Uh, but we also run some on the left side too, but – I would say right now we're probably too right side dominant and there's some adjustments that I'm looking to make. Um, but I do like where we're shooting 56%, 53%, I guess, 
on both low blocks. I think that's also a good stat. It's pretty consistent, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I think, um, I mean, those are, it, it seems like a given because of the proximity, but um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a battle down there. It's physical. So I, I, I would have to imagine you're pretty pleased uh, with the way that you're working the sh- working the ball uh, into the post. And it looks like you do that pretty heavily uh, based on the, the, the count there. Um, so, um, but you know, I'll, I'll go back to another article um, that we that I had done there um, about the the game planning and and seeing in one particular game this coach in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Beaver Dam, nationally ranked, um, and seeing in one game where uh, a player they noticed was just unconscious from the left corner, um, was averaging 14 points a game. And, and we just, just simply did not miss from the left corner. It was kind of uncanny. And so they basically didn't let her get to that corner. Sure. And, and she scored zero points, and they won the game by two in the last 10 seconds of the game. And so, again, you know, that, that's, a, that's a direct correlation between, all right, I think we got to do this. Let's see how it looks on, on the film. We'll see the charges. Okay, all right, she's really good from that part of the corner. All right, let's just, let's just hammer this. We're not going to let her beat beat us from there. If it beat us another way, so be it. Uh, and, and again, I, I just I, I I look at the scouting report. Uh, yeah, sorry, the, the shot charts um, as a huge advantage in a in a scouting report, even more so than self evaluation. Right. Um, j- just seeing where they're really effective. I yeah I yeah I agree with that. I, I think the other night we uh, we played a team that um, this girl was averaging like thirty points a game, and she took a lot of threes from the out the right uh, the right no right outside wing area quadrant and we really kind of really denied her the ball from catching the ball and make her put it on the floor and it really presented a lot of problems so that that's basically from the shot chart of playing her two years in a row yeah yeah and again your 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 gut might say something different than what the numbers actually tell you and um this stuff is the perfect marriage of that. Sure. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at huddle on Twitter and Instagram. How else can we use the shot chart to our advantage and so forth? Um, particularly for uh, individual player, let's say an individual player can go in there and check out his or her shot. Per, or how, how can we utilize that for players? And I know it's pretty obvious, but what are some insights that we can do with that? I, I always like uh, – I don't think athletes are egotistical. I think they want to do well, and they feel good when they're able to go in and kind of take stock of, of inventory, and, and shot charts are a really great place to do that. Um, what I recommend is, is uh, creating an opportunity for athlete-driven feedback, which is to go into a shot chart um, and either have them write it down or create a playlist for you and then shoot you, you know, three to five clips on what were your best, what were your two best shots, what were your two worst shots from the last game, and leave a note on there as to why. And, you know, figure out are they understanding that when they uh, when they're on the simple catch and shoot and they land in that triple threat, 
great. Now they're hitting a higher percentage. Or if, if when I'm drifting to my right, my moment, like a right-handed player sometimes will just let themselves drift to the right. And rather than having a great catch and shoot opportunity, they put themselves off balance. And that's the difference between a made and a missed three. Uh, and that and so do they then understand if I just catch and, and am able to retain my balance and stay perpendicular to the floor, my shooting percentage goes up 20%. Can they take stock and take inventory of that? And, and really quickly going to the shot charts, clicking on any zone, pulling up that playlist and looking at it, you're able to figure out things like that um, and take inventory that way. So I, I, I think shot charts are a great place for direct feedback with athletes and especially if you can get them to kind of own it and drive it and push it to you as a coach. Uh, one, that gives you maybe another free hour on a Saturday to do something you want to do. Uh, but it also kind of creates, again, that buy-in, that accountability and responsibility of them trying to own it. Shot charts are a really easy jumping off point a lot of time if you want to get athletes involved in video review. Yeah, and all kids, they, they all use their phones and iPads, and we do a lot of that. Um, that that's – that's to me is, is probably more important than having a team watch video. What do y'all think? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your, I'm looking at your makes and the shot charts right now. Um, <laughs> from the block. And one thing you guys really do well is uh, enter, enter the entry, the ball really high and kind of put on a tee for your, for your, your post players. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of get in track here, Brad, uh, if you, um yeah sure um yeah i think uh creating opportunities for your athletes to uh digest and process um one because it gives you more time when you're in practice right if you're able to send out like three five clips um from a game and say hey i want you to watch these uh because when we come to practice on monday we're going to do a drill that's going to help us stop this game plan Right. So it saves you 10 to 15 minutes at the beginning of practice explaining a drill um, right. or having to connect the principle from the video. So being able to push that to them uh, when they're at home or out, you know, riding in the car with mom and dad or something or with their friends and they can just pull it up and watch it real quick. Um, or if they want to then just go and dive into the film on themselves and see what they can notice. It, it's it's really important. And at the end of the day, it's, it's an opportunity to save time while staying like in touch and communicating. Um, I was talking with some athletic directors from Nashville and they, uh, one of them was a private Academy and one was a public school, but they both kind of echoed that it's really important for the athletic director to uh, secure the balance between being a student, being an athlete and just being a kid and having fun. And what they like about using video and to toot our own horn, I suppose, using huddle is the ability to just quickly create three or five short clips that illustrate your point you as a coach can leave a comment or arrows or spot shadows, whatever the direct feedback is, because you have the coaching acumen and the know-how and the discipline that's going to help you win. Give it to them when they're at home, let them watch it, but then let them go back to being a kid. You know, you're, you're, you're going back and you're giving them more time and you're not forcing them to watch two hours worth of video a night, but you're giving them the 15, 20, 60, 90 seconds that are going to help you accelerate through your weekly game plan. I think that's really important. If you have kids who you know, just have them download the app and send them playlists once a week so they get used to it. Um, had a coach say that now he gets in trouble from his players if they, don't, if they don't see a playlist from their coach by Tuesday. They start barking at him after it. That's a really cool culture around video where they expect and want to have that video just delivered real quick on a Monday or Tuesday night so they can watch it and come to practice feeling more informed and feeling more prepared. 
yeah, you guys want to expound upon that anymore? Or uh, I love that point. Yeah, I, I think um, just just it's kind of a trend across all sports too. Uh, you know, let's uh, you know let's really try to whittle this down to, to the bareness, not the bare necessities, but you know, kind of respect for the attention span too, right? Um, let, let's face it, kids today are more easily distracted, right? I, I think if you can, if you can get in that sweet spot, uh, Brad, what do you think? Half an hour, forty-five minutes? Mm, yeah, um, you can keep it under half an just, hour. Just, yeah. just, re- just really make it, a, just and really make those thirty minutes really, sure. really count. Just be, just be locked in, uh, you know, and and then go out there on the, on on the floor and just, just really execute it well I, and i think a trend I, I feel like i see in education uh, feel free to, to disagree with me here kevin is the idea of uh so-called flipping the classroom where um sometimes teachers will film their lectures beforehand and and send it along to the to the students and then that makes for a more informed discussion the next day they come in with questions they already know what they want to talk about, um, and it, they're just able to take it a level deeper. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you find that at all? Is is that a trend where, where you? Well, are? we are for sure. Yes, sir. I mean that. Um, we're at a we're at a charter school here um, outside of Atlanta. All our high school and middle school classes are videotaped, and also the kids and the parents can go back and actually um, review the video at home through their iPads. I mean, it's really an amazing. Um, and, and a lot of times, a lot of our kids have travel and do things outside of school so they can actually miss class, um, and actually get the same lecture. So I think that's a trend for, for the future as well. I think that's coming on. And, and don't you think if for taking the realm of sports, that is just such a phenomenal way of presenting information and making the most of your limited time. I totally agree. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a great point um, because everybody has, there's different types of learners, right? Some people learn, I think everybody has different modes of learning. I think video, and isn't that true guys, is that it's not all about video. I mean, there's different ways of learning, but when you actually see it, I think it really helps. I'll, I'll tell you a story from my time with the New England Patriots, if I will jump off a little sure. bit. But um, Chad, Chad O'Shea talked about, uh, maybe wide receivers coach um, talked about the difference with, between coaching Wes Welker and Randy Moss. And Wes Welker was a very studious guy, took a ton of notes. If, if you look at uh, the game plan every week and he's just writing little notes into, into the, the white space on every uh, play there. And just a really, really meticulous, studious guy. And Randy Moss would just look at the sheet and throw it in the floor and, and be like, you know, Chad, I already got this. And then Randy would go out and practice and just nail everything, just just perfection. And so he, he, he would talk a lot about, uh, you, you know, just how much he learned about, you know, uh, how to coach just by trying to balance those two guys and, and seeing the way Randy Moss was such a visual learner, um, whereas Welker really was, was just a different path. And there's nothing wrong with either one because – I mean, Randy's in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> um, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, not everybody is the same way. So, so I think the, the great market coaching is someone who can communicate something that might be complex, but in a language that everybody, from your Randy to your Wes, 
uh, it can comprehend and go out there and excel. Yeah, that's a great point. And I have, um, I have some, I have some kids, I have two or three kids that love the game and they go home and they're checking out all the videos and everything. And then I have a few, I have most of them who go home and they're not interested in watching the game video. (laughs) Um, And that's part of, that's part of teaching and coaching. You have different types of uh, commitment levels, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you, you got to teach at all different levels. Hey, my, my couple last questions here, because I know you guys are busy. Um, tell me a little bit. Give me – I know you talk about the four factors of what basketball coaches can really evaluate. Tell me what other coaches what – are, what are some key stats that coaches around the country are looking at to evaluate? Maybe it's just based on the individual program, but what are some key core stats that us coaches – can look at to evaluate our team. I'll, I'll go right off the bat um, to uh, one of my favorite coaches to talk to, um, Andre Noble at uh, Imhotep Charter out of Philadelphia, perennial nationally ranked top 25 program there. Um, one of the first things he goes to is free throw factor um, for a team that prides itself uh, as much as they do. I mean, you think of, you know, old school, Philadelphia city ball, right? Defense um, and, and playing physical defense and, you know, knowing your free throw factor um, tell, can give you some ideas about how you want to defend them without racking up the fouls. What are they doing um, to draw the fouls? Um, obviously Brad and I have talked about this before about the, the, some of the scientists out there that will argue that um, volume of free throw attempts is more important than the actual makes, which is, uh, kind of a unique way to think it, but certainly um, that's one way people look at it. But just it's a good measurement of defense. Are you playing good defense without hacking? Um, how are, how are you keeping them from getting to the line? All right, evaluate evaluate our free throw factor, guys. I'm seeing point three two for us, and I'm looking right here. I'm not trying. To, I'm trying to get it. Oh, oh, point, oh, oh, point three one. I mean, what <laughs> what's a good number we should shoot for on that? Because I know we can be better at that. What's a good number? I'll let Brad jump. In. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Brad, rip yes. into me, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is free throw factor can be dependent on your style of play and what type of players you have. Now, I know again, right. looking back at, at your team. Uh, Destiny gets a lot of free throw attempts, right? She does, man. Yeah, she does. She's a great free throw shooter. I mean, she's shooting an 80% clip. It looks like she's had a number of attempts, a lot more than the rest of the team. So, uh, again, it, it context is everything with, with these things. So, free throw factor, like if you, if you try to get out and run, uh, you're probably not going to see as many free throw attempts because you're trying to beat the team down the floor, and I doubt they're going to want to do a clear path foul. Uh, but – uh, going the other way, if you're slowing things down, trying to beat them inside, if you got like, uh, I was listening to the episode with, uh, I think it was Coach Sheridan, Coach Derek Sheridan on Northeast yes, Ohio. And he, was, he was talking about he's in a big football community now. Uh, and so he's trying to find a way to deploy these bigger athletes that are very committed to football into his basketball program. And it's about setting screens, about getting people freed up. And if you've got those bigger bodies that you can put it down there in the post and try to move their weight around an established position well, then you might see a higher free throw factor rate for that one player, but not for the entire team. So 
you know, you got to figure out what is your game plan, what is your style of play, and then what is your personnel, and then deploy analytics within those three scopes. Um, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule for data. I, I really don't. I, I This might be a, a millennial answer from me, but I think you got to figure out what your philosophy is and what your game plan is for your personnel coming into the season and then set goals or, you know, to take a page from uh, corporate America is to really inspect what you expect. Do you expect to be a, a high rebounding team that dominates the glass? Then that's going to be a stat you should pay attention to, whereas your assist ratio or, uh, you know, second chance points might not matter to you. But if you're a team that likes to play at a high pace, uh, points in transition, uh, second chance points and uh, points off turnovers, those are going to be big for you. That's not going to matter to a different team in a different scheme. So I think where we need to get with data is as a coaching staff, sit down before the season and think, what, what's our personnel look like? And what are the principles that we like on offense and defense? And then what are the metrics that we need to pay attention to to get us there? Um, and then just kind of monitor those and check in on them and then just kind of poke holes in it, right? Ask questions. Why are we seeing a dip in the second quarter? Why are we seeing a spike in the fourth? What's going on? And then really just keep probing until you get an answer you're comfortable with. But I would say identify your schemes and then pick three stats that are going to help you maintain that scheme over the course of a season. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I, you mentioned some great points and, um, uh, I know we're a team. My my philosophy is I want to get it in the hands of my two, maybe three best scores consistently. Um, and then my, my other players are role players, re rebounders, um, assist distributors. Um, so as you can see, my best player gets most of the shots. But you know there comes a time when they're going to double triple team or two. So, uh, but she's she's a pretty good player. Um, that's a great point. Anything you guys want to add to that? Uh, uh, that was a great explanation. I, uh, uh go ahead. Go ahead, bro. Oh, cool. go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna, I wanted to run a quick experiment with you, coach. Um, sure. Look, looking at uh, some of these stats that I've seen here, you have, uh, I actually kind of built off something I was just talking about in the, uh, Okay. I want to get this right, and I don't want to have my bias come across, so I'm going to try to frame this question <laughs> the right way. Sure. Uh, why do you think – looking at your VPS per quarter, so for any coaches who might be listening who aren't familiar with VPS, it's basically a composite rating of performance for either an individual player, the whole team, or any given lineup. Yeah. In the first and third quarter, Coach Furtado, your team has a much higher VPS and plus-minus than you do in the second and fourth quarter. Great point. I, I see that as well, yes. I haven't looked at it, but just going off what you know about your team and the way you guys are growing and progressing through the season, if you had to, what do you think that might be? Well, we emphasize first three minutes of the first quarter and third quarter. Um, and second quarter, I got to go to my bench a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, and fourth quarter, well, fourth quarter – is right now our conditioning's not up to par. So that's part of it. And we're, we're working on that. I always, it's a process with what I do. Um, and our fourth quarters have to get better guys. I, I got to tell you that a lot of that is our conditioning right now. I was, uh, I was expecting you to say having to go to your bench at the start of the second quarter or somewhere in the second quarter. That's very common. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested by the fact that you say you and your staff emphasize the first three minutes 
of the first quarter and the third quarter because the stats, without knowing your team, without ever having seen you play or step foot in your gym, I can see that in the data. Like, I can see that just by looking real quick, which is why I asked you. Because I figured you'd have a reason for it. I was just able to – it quickly caught my eye. I was like, hey, they're doing something in the first and third quarter that's not translating to the rest of the game. Is it the bench? Is it conditioning? Sure enough, those two things came up. Now I'm just looking and poking around. So, I mean, spending any amount of time just looking and seeing what stands out and what jumps out at you and then just kind of doing some investigating, that's what really gets me going, and that's what I love about data. It can highlight what you and your coaching staff are doing, and it tells you your team is doing it. The first three minutes of the first quarter, first three minutes of the third, your team is responding to that message that you and your coaching staff have implemented. Now we just need to figure out how do we shore up the second and the fourth so we put together complete games. I mean, you're sitting at four and two right now, so I'm not going to try to tell you to do anything different than you're doing. But uh, just just thought it was interesting that you and I were on the same page, but we've never been in the gym together. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I love honest appraisal. I, don't, I think I don't know if coaches really take that as – as much as they need to. Now, everybody, all my opponents are going to be listening to this, man. <laughs> I mean, they're going to load up on me in, in, the, in the second quarter, man. Um, but uh, no, that's a great point. And that's, isn't that true to what you guys are doing? Coaches need to look at that and then make corrections, right, on the areas where they're not strong. Yeah. And, and, and if it's conditioning that's, that's worrying you with your bench, um, I, I, I love this phrase that a good friend of mine, Malcolm Smith, the former coach at East Boston High School and New Mission High School uh, here in Boston, would say um, two miles equals, equals six points. And six points you're taking away from the other team and six points you're giving yourself. Um, and and that, that, was the, that was the benchmark every day is, is, is just getting conditioning up because, um, you know, the style of, of defense he wants to play, you want to play man-to-man, you, you, you have to work at that every day. And, and seeing that, um, again, seeing that on the stat sheet, seeing that in the reports, um, this is something we have to work on. Just being able to tie, you know, it's a difficult conversation, right? Is conditioning a difficult conversation for, for, for you? Um, no, it, it, no, not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, we have directed. Okay. <laughs> all right, never mind. <laughs> we, we have directed it um, already to our team. We're very honest. I'm very honest with my players and team and so forth. And, um, that's something that we're really focusing on. But, you know, conditioning is my responsibility. So um, that's something that we need to get better at. I took that as that, that was on me. Okay. Well, you, but you have the answers uh, immediately. Yes. You, you, don't have to hit, you don't have to hit rewind and fast forward uh, back and forth all night trying to understand the ins and outs here. You have it all neatly compartmentalized and it, it, it doubles. We, we, I, this is something we really hammer is, is – uh, double down on the details that matter with the time you get back. Oh, that's so, so true. Um, that's so true, guys. Hey, my, my last question is, um, and Brendan, you wrote an article on how can we use video for, I, you know, I have, you know, the one player that I have, Destiny, she's being recruited by a lot of, you know, Division One schools, um, and she already has video. But let's say I have another player that's kind of an average player. How can we use the video should we use a video highlight uh, or how can we use video to show, you know, show her uh, skills or strengths? Yeah. I, I actually wrote a whole thing about this when I was coming in a huddle about actually, um, cause I, I mean, all you gotta do is do a five second search on YouTube to find just mixtape after mixtape after mixtape and highlight reels to me, feel free to they differ here, but highlight reels to me, they, 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 they just mask the deficiencies. It feels like it's so easy to do that. 
And I, I think it, as a college coach, it seems like it's, it's tougher to separate, uh, you know, substance from sizzle. And one of the things I see, and this kind of ties into our focus product, is, is um, I thought last year um, I, I saw it on Twitter where um, Harvard-Westlake School out in, in Los Angeles, um, they have a very, very good big man, Johnny Juzang, who's probably going to be in the NBA in a couple of years. And they, ju- they just had the focus turned on, and, and there he is in a gym by himself on Super Bowl Sunday with his L.A. Rams playing, uh, practicing, practicing free throws, you know, practicing – uh, his post moves by himself in a gym with no one watching. And as a college coach, um, to see that, it, it tells you a lot of things about his work ethic, about his IQ. And listen, to play in college, you've got to really love basketball, don't you? I mean, you really have to love it because it is, it is a job, essentially, in college. And um, coaches pay attention to the little stuff. Um, you know, one of my best friends, um, you know, is on the staff at, at DePaul University, and they chart wins and losses in practices. Did you win this drill? Did you lose it? And they keep score all year. Um, and and it's, 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 it's no secret that those players who are winning in practice are the ones leading on the floor on game nights. And DePaul's what? Uh, are they still on beat? 9-0, I think. They beat Texas Tech. Yeah, they did. Sure. That was a great game. Uh, I saw yeah. it. Yeah, it was a great game. Romeo Weems obviously erases a lot of, a lot of the problems for them. But, um, you, you know, I, I so I think, uh, you know, College coaches want to see the entire picture. And I think to, to be able to sell to a college coach about, um, hey, you know, she's, she's really athletic. She, she shoots really well. But, but these are little things she, she takes care of. This is her, her mindset. This is her IQ. Um, this is her work ethic. Be able to, to, to show that, too, um, with how you, how you distribute to, to college coaches. Um, for, for, for me, certainly, as a, you know, a college coach's shoes, that, that's certainly – uh, a, a huge, a huge attraction. So, um, luckily, Huddle gives you all the tools to uncover a- every nook and cranny, um, and and show them, you know, the little things that really matter. Yeah, that's a great point. That's great advice for you know many coaches who really just have average. Most of us have average players that could probably play at the next level, but us coaches. We're trying, how do we market them the best, right? Isn't that what the problems are? I mean, the, the high-level players are going to get noticed no matter what in their AAU programs. Yeah. I, I, uh, a friend of mine in the media once said, uh, someone should do a documentary on the one AAU team on the Nike EO Bill Circus that doesn't have a documentary crew following them around, right? <laughs> um, it, it, that's kind of the culture. It's, it's uh, you know, I mean, look at look at the what is it? House of Highlights, Brad. The Instagram account just like fifteen million mm-hmm. million followers. I mean, people people love to love to consume this stuff in 15, 30 second clips. Um, I I think in other sports, like I, I go back to football again. I apologize, but um, you see a kid make one outstanding play. Um, I go back to the the the, the advent of huddle around here, um, where there was a kid who made this one outstanding touchdown grab uh, in a state title game, and he calls it. The two hundred thousand dollar catch because suddenly the colleges started sprouting up around here after seeing an auto. Um, basketball, may, I, I don't know how it how it is differently in basketball. Um, how much coaches, obviously, uh, if, if they're doing something crazy on film, you know, you, you keep tabs on them and and you know you keep in touch. But like, um, I don't I don't know. Is it, are they are they are they more looking for? Uh, is it a different evaluation process for basketball? Fred, I mean, how much do they go for the highlights as opposed to 
just how they play on both ends of the floor, well, you know, how, how they do bringing the ball up, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it, when it comes to making a highlight, it, it matters how you, how you structure the content. You want to put, you know, to show one that you're aware of your own skill set. So for you to put together a highlight, it's like, hey, this is my best skill. Here are three or four clips that show you that. Here's my second best uh, skill. Here's three or four clips. Here's my third best and so on and so forth. So then you look like you're aware of yourself and how you can fit into their program. But it's an, it's an opportunity to advertise for the things that aren't happening on the floor. If you are uh, big into volunteering, if you're in a bunch of clubs, if, uh, if you can get a comment from your coach that says you're really bought in and you watch film, because back to your point earlier, Coach Furtado, if you could have a team of, of 12 girls that were all bought in and you didn't have to coach their motivation every day, how would that change your approach to coaching? To me, it would feel probably a little bit easier that you, you don't have to try to work around or jump through many hoops with kids who maybe aren't bought in. So if you can recruit yeah. a kid that you know is going to buy in and be there and be present, you know, you can, you can coach a kid up that, that wants to work hard for you and that's willing to buy in. And if they know that that's not a variable, they're willing to take a chance on some of those kids. That's a great point because the, the colleges, particularly I'll give you an example, Mercer out of Macon here. I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Um, yeah. Upset uh, Duke a few years. Yes, right? absolutely. <laughs> well, the, the women's program, Susie Gardner out here, um, her, the, she's, the, she's been to like three games of destiny, which says they're pretty serious. She asked the same question all the time is how is she to coach? Is she coachable? Is she teachable? Um, that, that question comes up all the time. How's her attitude? Uh, they can see the talent, but they want to know what the intangibles are. Correct. Yeah, yeah. of course. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, you, you got to want to be intrinsically motivated at that level. Like I said, it, it's a, it's a job, you know, and if, if you're not motivated to get better every day, to learn it, learn more every day. And part of that is being, being coached and, and being open-minded about, uh, and, and being humble that, you know, destiny may go to Mercer and not be the star right away. Right. right? I mean, it may be a little bit of humbling and that's why it's important to be coachable, you know, um, I, I, I know for, I, I feel like for a lot of people, I don't know how your experience was in Nebraska, Brad. I know at UMass, it was a bit of a humbling for me coming from a small town, uh, knowing that I'm not the greatest uh, and I was going to have to outwork everybody. And I think that's the same mentality, um, you know, for, for a college athlete. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. Gentlemen, hey, can each of you just finish the podcast on give me one important coaching point for us coaches to, you know, you've already said a bunch of them. What is one important coaching point that we can get, even if you don't have huddle, how can we utilize basketball analytics? Because basketball analytics are here to stay. Um, how can we utilize, just give me one point, how we can utilize, utilize that to improve our team performance. Can I think about this one for a second? Go ahead, pal. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to look at this with you. Um, when, when we talk about basketball analytics, oftentimes advanced metrics and stats get the, the lion's share of the discussion, especially because media loves to latch on to numbers because that's what they can point to and say, here's proof of what I'm saying. Um, 
but analytics and especially when you talk to higher level programs and I know this is difficult and in at the high school level and younger uh, just because of the amount of resources you have available but um, analytics also includes things like psych evaluations and body language analytics and helping athletes be present and be aware um, of their interaction with the team. And when they're in your program, what the expectation is. Um, I mean, building a program, building a culture, they're all intertwined. Stats are not, stats are not everything. They can do a lot of good and they can do a lot of harm if, if, if you're not sure what you're looking for. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have your kids well-being and your program's well-being in mind, stats can help any way that you want them to. You just got to make sure that you go back to them and use them the right way and make sure you're including your athletes in the conversation when we're using data. Um, because at the end of the day, those, de- those numbers are a representation of how hard they're playing for you and, what, and whether they're doing their job to the best of their ability. Sometimes that requires sensitivity, but they deserve a seat at the table if we're going to be talking about numbers. So um, connect everything you're doing as best as possible and make sure they're included in the conversation. Yeah. To, to, to back that up a little bit, um, I, I would say whatever, you know, whatever you, you latch onto, whatever analytics that you've determined are ones you're really going to keep track of because they're really going to uh, make your, your system, uh, you know, more efficient is make sure it's action. Um, I, I, I tell you from my, from my past stops in, in media, just for instance, you know, when I would write a story about a local high school player who's uh, doing well and the coach, uh, sometimes it's a really analytically driven coach and, and they would say, well, you know, he has a, an efficiency rating of 29.2 and, you know, Steph Curry is a, is a 28 in the NBA. And for me, I'm like, well, it's kind of apples and oranges, don't you think? I mean, unless he, that player is playing against the Warriors. Right? <laughs> um, so what, like, what is it? What, like, so how, how applicable is that really um, for, for, for judging, for judging somebody? Um, make sure, just make sure it's, it's actionable and, you know, for, for me, uh, I, I, I feel like you can tell a lot about, just from a scouting standpoint, like you can tell a lot about a team by watching what they, how, they, how they move without the ball. What are, what, are the, what are the other four guys on the floor without the ball? How are they, how are they moving? And I think that can, that can give you a lot of ideas about how you want to attack a team. Yeah, the guys, those are great points. And I, I guess we can still use – I still have an eye for the game. I can – for 30 years I've, I've been watching teams – I can still see a lot through an eye test, but you add in the objective data, you got some pretty good information to go with, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, it, it's, it, I think it's easier to sell too to your players saying, than just saying, hey, listen, you know, my gut tells me this, but hey, you know, this, these numbers back it up. The numbers don't lie, right? There's, there's lies, there's damn lies and um, statistics. No, uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, gentlemen, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I know, um, Brendan, I took you away from the Patriots game, man. It's my fault, but um, um, it's okay. It's okay. We'll see Mahomes in, in January. It's going to be a different ball. So. You, you know, they're going to make adjustments. They always do that. Um, hey, how can we get a hold of you? Cause I'm going to have a lot of coaches. They love to contact the people on the podcast. How can we get a hold of um, both of you? Uh, you you can just uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, B Hall Huddle, B H A L L, and then Huddle H U D L. 
Yeah, uh, that works for me as well. You can shoot me a DM. Uh, always happy to talk hoops and, and data. And coach, I know I owe you a scouting report after all the access I gave away on your team today. But uh, yeah, go ahead and give me a follow as well. It's at Brad Hillegos. So at B-R-A-D-H-I-L-L-I-G-O-S-S. Uh, that's great. And I know uh, you guys actually sp- – I have a clinic out here, and um, uh, Jimmy Thompson from Huddle always comes out, and um, he's at our clinic and so forth out here. And uh, we, you guys are a big, big sponsor of uh, my Legends Clinic, so I appreciate that. Thank you again, guys, for sharing. And um, you're going to have a lot of coaches contacting you. And listen, uh, I really appreciate it. Y'all have a great night. Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, we'll do this again sometime. Nice. Absolutely. Yes. Maybe after the season, you can give me like a post, kind of evaluate all my stats again. <laughs> Let's do it. We, See we, you then. We'll, well, nothing, nothing but the hard truth. The hard truth. Man. I love the truth. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, Coach. All right. Yep. We'll see you. Hi, this is Jeff Jasper, head basketball coach at Pascack Valley High School in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to Kevin's championship podcast, you're missing out. This guy's got a passion for the game, great insights, and he interviews some pretty cool people. I must say he interviewed me. I had a lot of fun. Best to all of you. Take care.